You're listening to the Recoveredish Podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist, Amanda E. White. So really quick, before we get into the episode, I wanted to just provide some context. So my guest, Emily, she is has recently left uh, an MLM, also known as a multi-level marketing company. Um, And we really get into like the psychology of how that impacted her, how it was difficult for her to get out, how it impacted her mental health, her drinking, her relationships with friends and family. And we also unpack just kind of the predatory nature of some of the schemes that exist that – are kind of based around, if I can do this, you can do it too. So there are times where we get into some of the specifics of it, um, and we talk about her book, which was written all about her experience, but I just wanted to provide that context. If you are in an MLM, I'm not against you. I think that everyone has a right to choose their life for themselves, but I also think this is a really interesting topic because of all the mental health intersections and aspects. And I think MLMs are really interesting too because they can be culty, which has a lot of mental health components. They can also really breed toxic positivity, which is, I think, a really important topic that we continue to break down in our culture. So that's the context going in. I hope you enjoy it and let me know what you think of the episode. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited for this episode of Recovered-ish because I have Emily Paulson here. Hi, Emily. Hi, Amanda. So great to talk to you. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know Emily, she just came out with a book that's called Hey Hun that is all about her experience in an MLM and how she left. It's amazing. And we're going to kind of get into all the details of it. And I actually know Emily because she's also in recovery uh, from alcohol. So there were just like a lot of overlaps. So we're really excited to to dive into this topic. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely um, a lot of the same things I think that women are seeking from alcohol are the same things that we seek through these other like destructive things. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So why don't like for people who don't know you or don't know kind of like the background of the book, do you want to just give us a little bit of a summary of how you got here, how you ended up writing this book? Yeah, for sure. So I, um, like you said, I'm I'm in recovery. So I've been sober almost seven years and I got sober while I was in a multi-level marketing company. Yeah, we should probably say that's what MLM stands for. Yes, yeah, so yeah, <laughs> marketing. So those those things where people are like, join my team, buy my product. You get bo- bothered all the time. You like join a person <laughs> and they make bonuses off of you. That's an MLM. They're everywhere. Um, so once I stopped drinking, I realized a lot of the things that I had been doing in the MLM were they were in my 12 steps, right? Like my, my amends, a lot of the amends were around things I was doing in the MLM. And yet at the same time, like, I still felt like I was doing something like, but I'm helping people. And here I was like being of service. And it was just this weird disconnect. And so I started just learning more. I did a lot more research about MLMs. I started just really being more aware of the things I was saying, the things I was doing and where I was getting my information and eventually ended up leaving the MLM and, um, you know, decided that I wanted other people to know what was really going on and you know, all the information that you're not told 
when you join, all the information you're not given when you're in, how there's a lot of cult-like tactics um, and why this is such a failing system and why you know women should not support it. Do you think they're cults? Do you think they're cult-ish? What is your take on yeah, that? Yeah. I mean, I think anything – you can take anything to the extreme, right? So I think what they, I think this is, it's two separate conversations. Like MLMs are a rigged system where only a few people can succeed. Like full stop, they're pyramid schemes. The culty part of it keeps people in. And however, you know, indoctrinated you get into those cult-like behaviors, um, you know, that's why people stay in because they have the sunk cost fallacy because now they're surrounded by this supp- supposed loving community because now they really believe they have this mission to like save people. It becomes very proselytizing, like religious in a way. Yeah. I was surprised in your book because you talk about just some of the religious components and aspects and how there's a funny scene, right? Where people are like praying over you mm-hmm. for different things and you're like, this is uncomfortable. Um, is that... Is that like common across all MLMs or is it more with where you lived and your MLM was based? Yeah. I mean, not where I lived. I think it's just, it's really infused in the MLM system because, you know, the people who started MLMs back before Amway were very devout evangelical Christians, right? So all of this, like the hashtag blessed and the mighty dollar and this prosperity gospel is all just infused in in the MLM structure. So you can't really separate from it. And so the default is like a white Christian woman, right? And and so any, it's not necessarily that those people are targeted. It's just that that's, that's like the default, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so anything outside of that, it's the it's the exclusion of anything else. And it's like that extreme individualism also that they prey on, right? That anyone can do that. You know, like I, I was so excited to talk to you about this because one of my biggest pet peeves on Instagram as a therapist is when people use their own – like I think personal stories are super powerful. Obviously, anyone who follows me on Instagram – listens to this podcast, knows that I'm a big fan of sharing my story. Anyone I bring on the podcast, I want them to share their story in some capacity, not just function as like an expert. But this whole idea on social media, especially of if I can do it, anyone can do it, is so unhealthy and toxic. It's so unhealthy. And I think it has blurred the lines, and I'm sure you know know this, of like Insta therapy and actual therapy. Like you're a therapist who shares things as a therapist and a human being and whatever, but like people don't necessarily know the difference when they go online and they see someone, you know, sharing their story and it's like, oh, wow, she could do that. She looks like me. I could do that too. And that is exactly how MLMs prosper. And that is the message that I spread. And I I truly believed that. You know, I did the things that my friend and upline told me to do. I succeeded. So I assumed, why would I not? I assumed that everyone, if they did what I did, could succeed too, while ignoring all statistical probability that it was mathematically possible, right? Um, And it, it obviously ignores any socioeconomic differences. You know, the fact that I had money to do this in the first place, the fact that my friends had money, it, it just, it, it's, 
we are not, we don't all have the same 24 hours in a day. That's Correct. Exactly. A falsehood. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I thought it was so interesting. Just you saw it really, really firsthand. And I think this is something that happens, like you said, online and stuff like that is there's just this idea that if you do what I do, right, if you do my morning routine, if you you know, drink this, do that, blah, blah, blah. I could go on, right? Cold plunge, drink celery juice. Like it's always something different, right? Yes. It is so funny. Like this is an aside, but I just think it's so funny when you've like lived enough to see the cycles. You're just like, oh, this is right. Like right now is the cold plunging and then everyone's going to get rid of their cold plunging things and it's going to be something else. And you know that it's not actually working if there's fads. (laughs) Right. Of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think too, it's this idea, it, dr- it it drives consumerism, like, right? Because, oh, I did this cold plunging and I feel so good by this $5,000 cold tub, whatever. But, but saying that you can do things yourself, like, hey, if you do this and follow the system, you can get whatever you want. It also is a really convenient way to skirt around any accountability. Because if you tell people, hey, just look in the mirror and say these mantras and you will succeed, well, if they don't, then they must not have done the things you said. And then who's to blame them, right? It's not, the accountability is not on you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked so much too. I mean, I've seen like the Lula Ridge documentary. I've, you know, I've, I'm very interested in MLM. So I've done like research kind of on them and stuff, but I didn't realize until I read your book how much it is driven into people in MLMs that this is a small business. Like this is your business. Invest in your business. Uh, like <laughs> as a business owner, it's just it's just so manipulative, right? The you're investing in your business and yourself. Oh, for sure. And it it is embarrassing. Like it's secondhand embarrassment and and it's out of, you know, plain old ignorance, right? That you any person on the street can pay, you know, $500 and join an MLM. So it's not like you're given any business training or you have any and and they really do package it as you feel like a small business. Like, hey, I'm just a mom selling stuff. And you see memes like, oh, support. What is it? Like, support your friends the way you support Kylie Jenner and corporations. Without understanding that every MLM is a corporation. <laughs> All They're the corporations that you malign. And, you know, and it's like, I also think it really we need to change the dynamic around like what we think support is because we really, I I think for a long time that that's what's preyed upon is, Oh, support me, support me, buy my spatula, buy my oils, buy this. And you're like, okay, I'll buy your $20 product or whatever. And we think we're doing something good. Like this is helping my friend, but you're not, you're putting maybe a few cents in her pocket. Her upline is getting money. They're upline, they're upline, they're upline, and the parent corporation's making the most. And all you're doing is keeping them more stuck in the system that will mm. never pay off. Mm. Such a good point. Such a good point. Yeah, it's so interesting too how it just – I mean, I think the – so I like bought – you know, I got into the oils at one point a couple – like I don't know, whenever the oil craze was. I never sold them or anything, but I bought them from a friend. Um, and I – she didn't ever – talk to me. I guess I like unsubscribed from a lot of the oil companies like stuff because I never was going to sell them or anything. But I was very convinced. Like it's just I think that's like also what I want to touch on too is just even if you are very educated and you are very aware and you've seen lots of MLMs and you know it is really 
their marketing is really, really, you know, ingenious in really, especially there's something to me about the, you know, because I remember, I remember my husband making fun of me and being like, why are you buying oils that are like so expensive, right? You could just like get them at Whole Foods or a grocery store. And I was like really convinced that there was something magical about this oil that you could take because I was like, well, you can ingest it. So it must be really magical, which, you know, now has been widely disproven and terrible. I feel like when I was buying this, it was um, because it's not sold in stores, there is almost this idea that like this is special. Yeah. It's proprietary. You can't get it anywhere else. And they'll throw those words around. But in the United States, and in most countries, but in the United States, there are only certain products that can be sold. Things have to be uh, regulated. There's only so many ingredients to go around. There's no like magical supplement that any cup company can get. So anything propri- proprietary just means they've put ingredients in an order that they don't want to tell you about because it's nothing special. So, so we hear like these buzzwords and then every MLM has their own like scientific officer um, and they have their own studies. Well, if you look at the studies, they're all, first of all, they're funded by the, the company. Their sample size is like 30 people. You can't, you can't trust them. You cannot trust studies that are funded by the company that's, you know, putting them out and they're before and after. So I think there's, there's a level of deception there that even the people in like, I believed, I believed everything my company was telling me. And I like, I was a chemist. I like, I know how to study sources and data, but still it looked so magical to me. And then you have before and afters that are being created just by people, you know, they're not employees, they're not vetted in any way. And, and so it does make it seem so much more better than it really is. Um, when really it's just the same old stuff. And I think because the price is so inflated, that also makes us think, ooh, it must be better. Well, no, it's just all the the money going to the upline is built into the price. It's the same crap you can get anywhere. Yeah. It really is, yeah. Yeah, that's, that is such a good point. Yeah, what is – it's interesting to see – I know like Beauty Counter, for example, they've started selling like also in other stores and stuff like what is, are more MLMs doing that? Is that because they're desperate or what do you think about that? So I think, you know, the writing's on the wall. I think consumers are getting smarter and people would rather now go to a Sephora, go to an Ulta and talk to a woman who works there who can recommend lots of different things. You know, they're getting a commission or whatever, like they want you to buy something, but they're going to recommend what's good for you as opposed to just going to your beauty counter rep who's going to tell you that they're not an MLM and even though they are, and who's going to tell you that their products are better. And, you know, so I think people are, consumer awareness is getting better. um, And companies are realizing that they need to figure something else out. (laughs) So, you know, like beauty counter, which I think is really, you know, if I were in beauty counter, I'd be like, that, that sucks because they're taking a cut away from their reps. Right. Right. I mean, what do you talk about in the book with like saturation and stuff like that? It makes so much sense that being in early really matters, like how many people in the area you're in, all of that stuff. So when someone can, of course someone would, I mean, I would much rather, that's why I bought oils from a friend even though I didn't want to is I was like, I think they're this much better. I can't get them at Whole Foods. I'd much prefer to go to a, a place. Now you can get them anywhere. And so if you do like a product, so if you've like 
you're married to this MLM product and now they're selling it at Ulta. And now you don't have to have Sally down the street bugging you every month to buy more crap. You can just go get it when you want. Like, of course you're going to go that route. Um, and then I think, you know, there's other MLMs that are trying to differentiate and just do like affiliate codes mm. instead because they, they, they see that affiliate marketing is people like that more and they they don't want to mess with building a team and all this stuff. So I don't know. I mean, the only reason that companies choose MLM is because it Mm -hmm. makes them a lot of money. It's not because it makes women a lot of money. It's it's good for them, not for anyone else. And so once it starts being not so good for them, things are going to change. And I think that's only going to come from a consumer base, right? Yeah. Consumer awareness. Yeah. So I know you go into this a little bit in the book, but if we talk about, right, like the history of MLMs, I know, right, like pyramid schemes, quote unquote, are illegal, but a lot of (laughs) MLMs are pyramid schemes, but they get around it. Can you speak a little bit to how they get around it and just, I, I, yeah, like how that's all, how they try to skirt regulations? Yeah. So MLMs are just pyramid schemes with product. That's really all they are. And the reason that they're allowed to be in operation is because, you know, Amway was like the original MLM and they got sued, you know, the FTC investigated, they got sued lots of times because again, they had income claims, not a lot of people were earning money and they changed things enough, changed verbiage enough, changed, you know, reward systems enough, put things in place to make them legal enough to stay in operation. Because they've done that and because they've been allowed to operate, every other MLM has structured themselves off of them. So there's that. And there's the the simple fact that lobbyists, politicians, they are rewarded for MLMs existing. Like, you know, Betsy DeVos's great grandfather was part of the of Amway. Like so Yes. You know, I remember hearing that in a podcast. Yeah, a lot of politicians are involved in MLMs. So a lot of them make Mm -hmm. money. So they're not going to pursue any sort of, you know, laws or anything around it because they make money off of it. There's no financial incentive for them, for them to go away. So they stay in operation that way. Um, And, you know, so politically it's, there's nothing changes there. It's if Mm -hmm. people are financially rewarded for them staying in operation, they're going to continue to stay in operation. And people who, let's say someone violates something like, say, I post something that I wasn't supposed to, or I make an income claim, or I, I violate the rules, yeah. I'm just an independent contractor. And so I can just get terminated. And the company- Yeah. I was going to ask, were you guys all contractors? Yes. So that, okay. And that's how the company can be like, uh-oh, you know, they signed the dotted line, they agreed to things, and they weren't on the up and up. So they're, we're just going to ax them and we'll stay in operation. So that's how they get around- you know, all of these income claims, health claims is if they get investigated, they can just terminate the um, contractor because again, nobody's an employee. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. So when, cause yeah, the other thing I was really interested in is I knew obviously MLMs were about selling and, you know, you need to sell to as many people. And I was thinking a lot about how that gets messy with boundaries and stuff. But I also didn't realize, I mean, maybe like this is very obvious, I'm sure to most people, but I like 
you all were trying to obviously trying to get uh, like not just them buy your products, but you're you're trying to get them to also join and start selling oh, yeah. and stuff like that. That is the goal. Yeah. yeah. Were there like did you were you disappointed when people wouldn't join and sell or how did you kind of like were there other people maybe in your downline who weren't as into recruiting other people to join your team or Mm-hmm. Can you oh. talk a little more about that? Oh, yeah. So it really was like the lead with the business was always mm. the way you were told. Like your number one goal was to get people to join the business. And again, it's yeah. not a business, but that's like the verb right. you use because that's the greatest benefit to you, supposedly the greatest benefit to them. It's not. It's a benefit to you and your upline. Right. So when you have someone who's interested in the product, you're that's that's where you go. It's like, hey, you know, if you want the product, the best way to get the biggest discount is to join as a consultant, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Oh, you right, ultimately right. want them to join in the system. So yeah. the products are just a way to get people in the system. Mm-hmm. And so when companies, you know, have, have statistics, like they're like, oh, 80% of our, uh, our network is... Uh, customers and not consultants. It's like those customers come from the consultants joining. So it it's just, it's a really backwards way of explaining it because the consultants are the consumers because so right. many people sign up because they're pressured. Oh, well, this is the best way to get the products and get them yeah. wholesale or whatever. But for sure, there's people who buy in to a certain level. Like again, when you're pressured to join, Mm-hmm. and you just want to buy the products for yourself, you become a consumer regardless. And so right. there are a lot of people who just buy in and just buy the products for themselves, thinking mm-hmm. it's the best for them when it's really right. the best for you and the upline and you know gives you a signal boost because then you have a number of recruits and you promote. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know anyone who, again, is purchasing a product, whether as a consultant or a customer, is still part of the system that keeps it running. Yeah, that's what's like kind of blowing my mind right now because I originally when we talked, I was like, I've never been in an MLM. But I mean like technically super loosely if I bought something from like an oil brand, technically they considered me. I mean, I guess like when do you sign a 1099? Like I didn't sign – like when you – Yeah, I mean you may have have without knowing (laughs) – I mean, true life. I discovered that I was part of an MLM. Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) if you ever have to give your social security number, you were a consultant, right? So you may have, you may not. But even if you're just a customer, like even if you just give your credit card number and you're just a customer, you're still part of keeping that consultant in. You're still part of keeping that MLM in operation. You know, it's still money, still flowing only one direction. Um, Yeah, you're spending more than you need to, like you know. Yeah. 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 So would you guys have conversations with people of, or your upline, would they pressure you to, you know, this person isn't recruiting people, they're just buying and we need to work on them? Or what did that conversation Oh, yeah. To look it would like? always, I mean, depending on the person. And it was all about what you needed, right? Like, so if, if I was trying to get some promotion for some stupid thing, some trip, some whatever, well, I need three people on my team to do these, fill these certain metrics. And if one wasn't, you know, it's like, I would talk to them like, Hey, just so you know, I'd make, it's like, what was in it for them? Right. Just so you know, if you sell these things, sell these packages, do this thing this month, recruit one person, whatever it is, you get X, Y, Z. 
And so that would either be something from me or my upline or whatever, because again, I'm incentivized to get them to do these things. So there was that all the time. We had contests all the time, like, you know, who can do the most calls with new consultants, who can reach out to the most people all the time to just get people doing busy work um, for our benefit. And, and that's why, like, I talk a lot about the car, you know, the free car. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And a lot, and, and when, when you're working towards like earning the car, right. it's all a team effort. It's like, you guys, mm. we're really close to our car. We're really close to being a- Even though it's your car, they no. don't ever drive it or anything. So messed up. And I mean, I did this and I, because you really feel like, because it is a group effort, because right. you're, you're yeah. going to be awarded for what everyone else is doing. Mm. But, but for some reason, people are like, yes, let's get Emily her car. And that's so messed up. Like it's so messed yes. up. Um, and, you know, then you have people on your team like taking pictures with the car, like, oh, I'm eventually <laughs> going to earn this. It's this, yeah. weird, it's it's a really weird thing that you really like. I was I was so in it. Mm-hmm. And looking back, like, I, I can't believe I ever thought that was okay. But, you know, it's hard to explain how intoxicating that is unless you are involved in it. You yeah. really believe like you have a gift and you are giving this gift to other people and you can't understand why everyone wouldn't want it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it shows just like humanity, right? Is it's just, I don't know. I think a really tiny microcosm of this is when I see a new trend come out like fashion wise and I'm like, that's the ugliest thing. I will (laughs) never buy that. And then you see it for like a few years on enough people and all of a sudden you're like, I need to get this now. Yes. I've decided that I like it, even though you wouldn't have yep. if you hadn't seen tons of like, we're just, we are susceptible to let, you know, we're social creatures. We're very susceptible to what other people say and do yeah, and the norms slowly, they create. Just like you just yeah. slowly, your perception changes, you Yeah, know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But I mean, that's how, when you said that, I'm like skinny jeans, for example, when skinny <laughs> jeans came out, I was like, never. And then now that they're like out, I'm like, I'm so sad because I, I love skinny jeans. Yeah. Like, how, yes. And how did that happen? You know, just over time. Yeah. But I, I just, and, and MLMs are really designed to chip away that intuition very quickly by prompting you from the beginning. You know, for example, like explain in the book how when I even went to meet with my friend about this, I was already like cringe. I was like, she does one of those things. I don't want to do those things. Oh, you know. So where, where did that go? It was immediately squashed. Like, oh, I know you are cringy about this. I know you feel weird about this. And then, but here's what I found. And then you're like, oh, so when those thoughts do come up, when you do feel weird about cold messaging someone, it's already been talked away. That objection's already been talked away. Like, okay, you're going to feel gross about this, but this is the way you grow. Yeah. So when you do have that intuition, you're like, oh, Okay. And then when you yeah. do it enough times, you just get accustomed to it that it's then it's no big deal. You really yeah. get just groomed over time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So so yeah, too, I was I was also really shocked. I mean, you talk about your car a lot for people that don't know the context. Like you you got a white Mercedes, yeah, right? It was, it was right? a Lexus at the time. A Lexus. Yeah. Okay. 
And it was like a big deal. I could not believe that they didn't buy it for you. Oh, no. Will you talk a little bit about what it actually was and how it actually cost you money? Yeah. I think the gifts, trips, rewards. And yeah. That's what I couldn't car. get over is just how much – and you guys were all expected to post about mm-hmm. it. Like it was wild to it's me. It's all aspirational to keep people joining, to keep people thinking this is a great thing to do and look at all the rewards you get um, when in actuality nothing is free. Um, the, so the car, here's how it works. So you, you qualify for some certain title, you know, super duper extra princess five, you know, whatever it is. Some stupid name. And <laughs> Do they have funny names? Oh, like, I know that's not a yes, name, but they're totally, yes. It's always like, oh my God. Yes. The names are ridiculous. So <laughs> you qualify for this title. And again, yeah. that's through recruiting people. That's through like, you get so many people to join and they get so many people to join and you've built your own little pyramid. And once you, you know, you stay at this certain qualification for a number of months, whether it's three or six or whatever. And at that point, your car qualified. And what that means is not that they give you a car. It means you go to the dealership and you have a list of requirements. Like it has to be new. It has to be white. It has to be whatever. Only white. That's funny. Yes. It has to be white. So you go, you either buy it or lease it yourself. This is, there's no company name on this. There's no, it's you. You put down your down payment, you pay the title, registration, everything. You're just buying a car or leasing a car. And then what the company does, you know, you send in all your paperwork and the company will give you a stipend then in your commission check. So, and only as long as you're keeping the same pyramid, like you got to keep that title. So let's say I'm, you know, keep this super diamond princess five, whatever title, they give me money in my paycheck every month. Okay, cool. Well, if I dip below that one month, I don't get the money. And and what's really crappy about it is they're not giving you the full payment of the car. They're just giving you whatever stipend is that they give, like $300, $500, $750, whatever. And, and you, if you know anything about cars, like a Lexus, a Mercedes, a Cadillac, they're always luxury cars. That doesn't cover a payment at all. And I mean, I had a family of seven. So of course we needed the big ass, you know, giant one. You know, yeah. the payment was like $1,900 or something a yeah. month. And so I got my like little $750 stipend. So essentially you're, you know, it's it's really backwards. And the amount of money you're making at that point, like might be enough to, to say like, I could afford a new car, but maybe not. It, right. It's just dictating what people spend their money on. Yes. So, yes. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And for, right, like it's not even, you know, it's one thing to get a free thing, but it's another to put your name on a lease of a car that you put a down payment, right? Like if you were going to get a new car, you may not have picked that style of car. So it's just, and then I just think about even with a car, right? It It is like you've said, it's an it's not just about the car. It's like this is a this is something built into your life even more than like a bag or jewelry, right? Where it's like you this is your car, you rely on this. It's another barrier that you have to unentangle to get out yeah. of the MLM. It's yeah, and they call it a rolling trophy. This is your rolling oh. trophy. And you're encouraged like to have a personalized license plate that somehow wow. you know, has a company on it. They give you a license plate whatever the border thing yes, the name yes. of the company on it. Wow. So you, you are ad, you're just free advertising. Yeah. And yeah. you know it's funny cuz people ask me like, "Well, what happened to the car?" And it's like, "Well, I still have it." 
like because mm. it was mine. Right, car. it's yours. <laughs> I brought the car. This is what you don't understand. It's like once doesn't matter what you ever do. If you quit, the car is yours. If you stay in, the car is yours. You're like it was my car. So yeah, of course I still have it. And thank God I don't have the stupid license plate or license plate cover anymore. But yeah. yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I couldn't get over how much I really didn't understand. I mean, I saw a little bit of it in like Lula Rich, but didn't totally put it all together of how much. It, and it was so funny to hear you write about it in the book, the way that you would say, well, I got to like treat my team so that like they are motivated and they feel good. And this whole idea of we kind of have to like by each other's motivation and support yeah, in all levels. Yeah, because what else keeps you in? You know, if you mm-hmm. join – like if you join for a community because mm-hmm. you feel lonely, then you've got to keep those community things happening, whether it's online, whether it's an in-person thing, you know, these retention events, like those are necessary. If you join for accolades – you got to keep those accolades coming, whether it's you send someone a bracelet, you send someone a Starbucks card, you send, it's this constant bribery essentially. Um, but again, like it feels good when you're that person, you're like, oh, this person joined my team and I'm going to spoil them. Like it. Yes. Yes. When, the spoil them is so funny. Yeah. To me. Which all you're doing is keeping them purchasing product. So they'll stay in. It's like, Right. You know, keeping them from quitting at all costs or keeping them seeing the dream. Like, oh, I'm so lucky I can spoil my team like this and all that shit. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, eventually you'll be where I am. So keep grinding. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting too thinking about it as a system because when you're outside the system, you can see, well, you know, you're buying them a new purse or whatever. Uh, right? You can see how they're like losing money potentially and how a purse doesn't cover that. And maybe, you know, instead of them getting a purse, what they need is like money towards like rent or something like that. But it's so interesting how you all are just, right? It was very clear in the book because you've been given these gifts. It was like this, I think that was the service component you were talking about is it's like you were in, even though looking on the outside, you can see this is just manipulation going down chains of people, you really thought when you were in it, like, I've been given these great gifts. I need to give back to my team. Well, and you're told all the time, like, it's all about duplication. Duplicate, duplicate, Mm. duplicate. So if you do this, then your team will do it. And then their team will Mm. do it. And then you have this pyramid of all these people working their asses off, right? Yeah. And, And the other part of it is, you know, you can't post, like, money on on social media and say, oh my gosh, right. dollars I'm going to pay my rent with. But if someone right. sends you a $10 bracelet and, right. you know, or some cheap tchotchke thing or a gift card, you know, you're going to post that on social media because you've seen that done. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, look at me. I, I love getting rewarded for doing what I'm doing anyway or all this stupid language. You know, you're going to brag about getting gifts because it feels good. Like, oh my gosh, this right. felt good to open this today. And the intention behind it is not good at all. It's just to keep you – because you're just then getting more – it's another signal boost. It's another advertisement. It's another, yay, this company, yay, this person. Um, Yeah. It's just adding to it. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I mean, I feel like looking at it, you can see how, right, the company is actually very insecure, Mm -hmm. that people aren't making very much money. So it's almost like they overcompensate with these specific luxury brand name items to try to prove, right? Like 
people tried to, you know, prove by walking you around on convent, you know, because you were one of the top earners and you were on the stage, right? That like you're so successful because you have this car, you have this like Louis Vuitton luggage Mm -hmm. because they're insecure because of, I mean, like your paycheck was good, but I just think, right, like in normal companies, if someone's doing well, no one needs to buy them lots of luxury goods to prove it. No, it's all the outward aspirational success. And that's why you see, like my former company, the the top leaders, you know, they go on these international trips and uh, mm-hmm. well, I went on many of them and they just had one. And so like I see yeah. this stuff coming up in my feed. And yeah. again, it's like they, they get to go to the Gucci store. Mm. Well, like, you know, and they're like, oh, I got a thousand euros to spend at the Gucci store. It's like, you know how much, how far that goes at Gucci? So then they're, right. they're buying more and it's all about, they're getting pictures. Look at these people mm. in the Gucci store. It's like, that's weird. That's, yeah. that's weird. But it is all these high-end luxury items that I'd never had anything Gucci. I'd never even right. thought of it. But then when people see, oh my gosh, she just got a Gucci purse. Whoa, she must be right. it. Well, no, the company just gets, first of all, that's going to get added to my income at the end of the year. So I'm buying yes. that, right? Essentially, right. I'm paying for it. Yes. I'm taxed on it. And the company gets yeah. a huge write-off because they probably bought 500 of them at a huge yep. discount for their dance. So, you know, mm. all these trips and everything, like the company gets the write-off. We don't get the yes. write-off. We're paying taxes. Oh, that's so it. interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Much. And I explain the economics of it in my book. And there's a reason yeah. why you are not encouraged to do a profit loss statement. They give you no financial mm. advice and nobody really who joins probably has a background in finance or business or else mm. they probably wouldn't join. Um, yeah. And because if you did, you would see how much money was going in and how little you're getting in return. Because yeah. when I looked at my end of year statements, like the amount of income mm-hmm. that was actually just things, you know, mm-hmm. like a $10,000 trip to, you know, France. A, so uh, they'll pay you with, so, just so I make sure I'm understanding. Yeah, like, so, you know, they'll you, pay you in a trip. Yes. Your reward oh. is like the trip. Oh my so God. That's great. Thanks for the trip. But like, I can't pay my mortgage with that. Thanks right. for the purse, but you know I can't buy food with that. So it's uh, when you look at the end of your statement, it's like, ooh, I made so many thousand dollars, but how much of that was just mm. a trip? And I was really surprised. Well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I was when I was interviewing women for the book. Yeah, how many um, were like fined by the IRS because mm. they were just like new and they like somehow qualified for something, and they're like, yeah, I get to go on this cruise. But then the price of that cruise put them over the bracket to have to like file quarterly taxes. And of course, uh, they didn't know because they're like, I right. just joined, you know, for fun. I didn't, they, they're hardly selling anything. Right. But their income looked high. Yeah. And so now they're like, oh, now I have this $10,000 fine because I didn't file quarterly taxes. Like this, I couldn't believe how many times I heard that story. Because wow. um, you're not, you're not given any advice like that. You're just a person, you know? Yeah. So I want to dig in a little bit to like the mental health mm-hmm. aspects of MLM life. So when you when you were in it and stuff like that, looking back, how do you feel like it impacted your mental health, your relationships, all of that? Oh, it was extremely detrimental. Mm-hmm. I mean, for one thing, from the outset, it was a distraction from actually working on my mental health. Yeah. Like I was – I already had a budding alcohol problem. Yeah. It gave me more reason to drink. It gave me more yep. reason to escape 
my problems at home, right? Mm-hmm. It it just exacerbated it. Yeah. So I think if you have if you reach for an MLM to fix anything, which is mm. why most people join, like I want to fix my finances, I want to fix my loneliness, I want to fix my whatever. I need a village. Like it's going to negatively impact you. Would you say that's the most common reason people join? It's not because they're like, I want to start a business. It's more about fixing something. I think there's there's a few layers. Like okay. we are so bereft of any other solutions, right? As moms, like especially if you – the target of these schemes is moms, right? And so if you are someone who's maybe you've been home for a while or you just are stuck in a job, you know, with and you're paying a lot for childcare and you don't feel like you have a lot of solutions because you don't have – subsidized childcare. We don't have paid time off. We don't have all of those things. So what solutions do we have? So when you see this magical thing, that's too good to be true. That hope that like, God, maybe I can get out of this situation. Maybe I can make this better. Um, that, that hope will have you reaching for it. Right. So like, I never fault anyone for joining these things because there's so few options. Yeah. 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 But I think it is, a lot of it is the the loneliness aspect. And it looks really great. When you look on social media, it's like, oh, they're going on trips. They look like they're having fun. And maybe maybe the products too, like, oh, their skin looks good and they've lost the baby weight or whatever. It's like, it's the combination. Plus it's a friend sharing this with you. It's a friend Mm -hmm. or family member. So it's like just the combination of everything is like, gosh, this, it really just preys on the hope and whatever that hope is. Um, So for me, it was very much like I felt like I was on an island. I felt very much alone, even though I was surrounded by kids. Yeah. Um, and I was looking for just something. I was just like, I just felt so stuck. Yeah. And this was like the Band-Aid for a while. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to go out more. I ha- I felt like I had a purpose. Yeah. And even though that purpose was very nefarious, like I was just right. hoodwinking people to stay in a pyramid scheme it felt good. It felt like this was helping me and I was offering this gift to other people. Yeah. And, but, but by doing that, it caused me to spend less time with my family. It caused me to drink a lot more. Um, and then I was stuck once I got to this place where I was like succeeding, you know, I was stuck Mm -hmm. in this, this war with like, uh, needing to, to, to make all these metrics all the time, like the month end yeah. stuff where I had to be yeah. locked in my office at the end of the month to try and keep the same uh, title. And I was trying mm-hmm. to get other people on their titles. And so I was a slave to my phone, yeah. um, you know, and it's like, it consumed me where, you know, you can be consumed by a job, but MLMs take that on in a such different way. It's like your job, your community, your life, your belief, your it becomes so different than just just a job. So it was very detrimental to my mental health. And then when I then, of course, got sober and there was all that cognitive dissonance there of this isn't great, <laughs> you know, I don't like this, but then I had brought so many people in. And so it caused me to stay in a lot longer than I think I would have. Because again, I was like, well, I got to stick it out with these people. I've still got to make, you know, lemonade out of lemons um, you know, I used my sobriety story like to share the company because again, I thought I was being of service, but again, that, that just added to more cognitive dissonance. Um, 
you know, it wasn't until I, I guess I had to fully leave in order to fully like heal from that experience, you know, and get over like the guilt and the shame and all of it yeah. that came along with that. Once I realized it was no longer, you know, the intentions no longer were, they weren't good once I knew what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot about how, right. Sometimes obviously not for everyone, but sometimes with alcohol, right. People try to heal their mental health issues or heal the reasons that they drank while still drinking Mm -hmm. a little bit. And a lot of times, right. It doesn't actually work until we fully step away from drinking because it's really hard to fill a hole that's being filled still kind of. Well, and because the alcohol helped, you know, I use a lot of air quotes here because it didn't really help. It seemingly helped me build my business because again, I was like drunk texting people at night and I had no inhibitions. And so I'd say whatever. I mean, I would wake up some days and be like, did I get her credit card information? Did I get her social security number? You know, it helped me be more belligerent and like bully people into joining essentially. And so that obviously it's like the more I sold, the more I drank, the more I drank, the more I sold. And so that cycle, it just kept it going a lot longer than it, it should have. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a pretty common thing with drinking or with any addictive substance is right. Like we, we start to have to, like we do behavior that we're not proud of. So then we have to numb that Mm -hmm. behavior because we feel shame, which then leads us to doing more of that behavior, which then leads us to drink even more. And it's just, it's such a toxic cycle. Yeah, totally. Yeah. How, um, how was your marriage and other like friendships or family members, people who weren't in the MLM, how were they impacted by this? I mean, you know, it was kind of with my husband, like I think, as you know, like there's a lot of enabling that goes on Mm -hmm. in addiction, right? Yes. So as much as my drinking was negatively impacting us, it was also seemingly helping it in some ways. Right. Like if I was like drunk and happy, you know, he was happy or like we could go out and drink together. It was like something we did together. But then all these other things were happening, right? So I think it was the same thing with the MLM that – he saw that it was, I felt like I had like a purpose and it was Mm -hmm. something I could do and I was bringing in a little money. And so he was very much like, you do you kind of a thing, Yeah, maybe to a fault, but also was like, you do you. And also, also kept very cautious. Like he was never going to quit his day job. He always kind of sought for what- Was it going to retire your husband? I loved that ridiculous phrase. (laughs) So ridiculous. But he wasn't, he was never that in. He's like, I'll support Mm -hmm. you. But like, I'm going to be cautious about it, which I I just appreciated so much, Mm -hmm. Um, especially like once I wanted to leave, right? So I would say that our marriage, like once I stopped drinking, like it was obviously our marriage got so much better. You know, there's always some like difficulties when you have, like he's, he still drinks, like he's a drinking, normal drinking person, right? Yeah. And, um. So there was a little like to figure out there, but like me stopping drinking was like the best thing I could have ever done. Yeah. And as far as the MLM is concerned, like again, once I stopped drinking and started seeing those things, it mm-hmm. helped just having him to confirm and deny things. Like, did I yeah. do this? Like, did I, am I seeing this the right way? Cause mm-hmm. he was, even though he was supportive, it was like, he still stayed on the outside and could be, have a more objective conversation about it. Right. Right. 
Yeah, I can't imagine people who their their husband or their significant other does get it. I mean, that would just be a whole nother level of yeah. well and getting and out. It happens and I'm sure you yeah. can imagine. I've heard from a lot of people since this book has come out mm. who like are kind of where I was in their MLM mm. and they're like, My husband doesn't want me to quit. Because it mm. gets to that point. And that was obviously something with finances where we had to get to the place where like I could leave, right? Because you, by design, you get accustomed to this income and for him to be supportive of that, knowing what a drain it was on me, um, you know, that was huge. And I think also realizing how much it was taking away from the family, how much it was mentally just taxing me. I think that it helped the communication um, mm-hmm. to just really talk about what it was and not just say, okay, I'm making money. Let's ignore everything. Um, yeah. Cause that's money is not, doesn't fix everything. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, so it was, I mean, I would say the MLM, the drinking, you know, was detrimental to my marriage, but like leaving and all that thing, like I, it, that it was great while yeah. I was in, um, it definitely affected friendships. Um, yeah. I definitely ranked friendships based on how supportive they were of my Mm -hmm. MLM, whether they joined me. And those were the people who were like closest to me. They were like really good friends. People who bought me were also really supportive. People who didn't, I was just like, well, they must not be supportive friend. Um, Mm. You really start- Because they told you to do that kind of. That was what was preached. Oh, 100%. You you are taught that if people supported you. And and when you have this belief that you are offering this gift, again, whether it's the products or the business, you think you've got the best stuff. You you think you have the best opportunity- it's a, a personal insult when people mm. don't join or buy from you. Um, yeah. You know, I got unfriended. I got blocked. I got, you know, hid on social media, you know, so it, it definitely affected friendships and more than I knew. Cause when I did leave again, mm. I heard from a lot of people who were like, wow, you were, you know, you were really in, I'm so glad to yeah. see you're out. Um, yeah. And, and people were willing to tell me how it made them feel like, mm-hmm. You know, like I was, I think I had to be open to that feedback too. Yeah. That, hey, you know, it really was shitty when you like bullied me to buy this product or when you, you know, you wanted to earn this trip. And so you put another order through that I didn't want or, you know, things yeah. that I did that again at the time seemed totally normal because that's what I was coached to do. Yeah. Um, so it affect, it definitely affected friendships and I think that's where I live by the, you know, the best apologies change behavior. The best. Yeah. And and that's hard because, you know, especially now that I've put the story out there and I've written articles and really highlighted a lot yeah. of toxic stuff I did. Yeah. Um, it's easy for people to go like, oh, you're just a shitty person. Like, <laughs> and it's like, that's not really, it's yeah. not about good people, bad people. Wonderful, smart, yes. amazing people get roped into these damaging, toxic things. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, why are we upholding these systems? How do we uphold these systems? And this is what really happens in these systems. Like that's why I fully throw myself under the bus because it's not about any one person or one company or anything. It's about the system that we're involved in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it it was really like cool to see just how I mean it, it was very clearly to me when I was reading this book, I felt very much like this is her living amends. Yeah. For all of this. If anyone is a 12-step person, there's like an idea, you know, right, of like some amends can't be resolved, mm-hmm. but we can, like you said, like do changed behavior going forward and stuff like that. And I think it's really incredible how honest 
you are about everything. Like the book is very, I think you could have written the book in a very like blaming way. And there is, it is very honest, your experience, and you're very open about everything that you did. Yeah. And I honestly have to credit recovery with that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've said this before, like I know AA is not for everybody. The 12 steps aren't yeah. for everybody, but I think like humans should all go through some sort of a 12 step yeah. process because it really just, it, it helps you so much to say in any situation, you know, an mm-hmm. argument or finances or whatever, just be like, okay, what's my part in this and what can I yeah. control and what's outside of my control? Um, yeah. and being able to look at yourself and say, okay, this is what I believed going in. Like I really mm-hmm. had great intentions, yeah. but at some point, once you realize that those good intentions, like once you understand the impact, you, yeah. you have to change your course and, you know, how can I write this wrong? And that's really why I went to write the book because mm-hmm. I could have very easily just quit and rode into the sunset and, you know, felt good about myself and that would have been fine. Yeah. But what would that have changed? You know, what, yeah. would, what would that have changed for other people? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm certainly not here to like destroy MLMs for people, but <laughs> like, I, I think just like with alcohol, like you cannot have informed consent if you don't have information. Mm. And this was information I did not have. Yeah. And I wish I did. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a good point. Yeah. I relate a little bit in terms of, so I got sober while I was, in grad school to become a therapist. And I was actually working at a rehab. Like I was doing my internship at a rehab and I had thought that I just had an eating disorder. And then it turned out that I very much (laughs) had an issue with alcohol as well. And there was so many years that I was just really, really scared of people finding out because, you know, as you know, you're supposed to have a certain amount of years before you kind of like work in the field or help others. Um, But it, you know, I wasn't going to keep drinking because I had found this out. So I had to hide it for a little bit and then eventually came clean with it. Um, and it, it's, yeah, I just like related to the shame of like, of having to clean up something while you're not separated from it enough. And there is so much relief though. Like a message I wish more people would know is it's really painful to do it, but there's so much relief. I think when you, like you said, throw yourself under the bus and are just super honest because then no one can come at you with this information no. when you've told on yourself. There's nothing people can hold against you when you put all – like, what are you going to do? Like, share my dirty laundry? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And people have asked me, like, on my book tour, they're like, what are you yeah. going to write next? And I'm like, well, I, don't, I haven't done anything else shitty that I people. Like, <laughs> like I there's no other tell-all I can write. There's no other secrets. But it's so true that – and I think – what you said about like feeling like you had to hide it because mm-hmm. it's like we're very black and white about you have to be healed or you have to be yes and that's not that's not true like i i for a good over a year was trying to control alcohol quit control yeah. moderate whatever yeah you know it wasn't that was not linear it wasn't just mm-hmm. i realized oh, i got a problem with alcohol and i stopped that's not how it works yeah. for most people yes and the yes. same thing with the mlm people are surprised like mm-hmm. when did you start writing this i'm like well i started taking notes and writing an outline when i was still in yeah because it's not a linear process i didn't know what that was going to be i didn't right. know i was going to fully leave i didn't know where where i was going to share this information but it it took a very long time because there's so much stuff involved. It's not just, oh, realized it and now I'm going to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think highlighting that part of it is like healing 
you know, you can still be very much healing when you're still very much in the behaviors or the trauma or the, the negative things, you know, the drinking, the, the MLM, whatever it is that you yeah. still feel is detrimental. You can be healing while you're still doing those things. Yeah. It's hard to understand. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's so true. And I, I think it's hard because a lot of times, right, when you're in the middle, like a lot, I mean, I think you can't really publish a book, right, or be in the middle and write your full story in the yeah. middle. You need to kind of go through it. But um, we need those stories about the middle. We need more stories about I mean, lots of like therapists, for example, reach out to me and are like, I realize that I have a problem with drinking, but I'm like terrified because yeah. what am I going to, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be seen out or, you know, at a recovery meeting or, or whatever. But, um, I think that we need more stories of what it looks like because that's where the real healing happens. Yeah. I mean, for me, I want a therapist who is in some sort of therapy for something, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> best therapist who I still see virtually yeah. now was in Seattle who like talked to me about, you know, things that she was involved in. and not like yeah. she was giving me, you know, I was her therapist, but right. you know, when she talked about her recovery organization mm-hmm. that helped her and books that helped her, I was like, oh, she's a therapist who has credentials and she's a human being yeah. who's been through it. Like understanding yeah. that, like you said in the beginning, you know, this Instagram therapy and there's so much beauty in having stories out there. Like I wouldn't have known there were lots of other sober people out there if it wasn't for social media, but there's a difference between mentoring, sharing, and having credentials. Like if you can have both, great. But right. you know, that's, I think that's the, the hard part about social media is that mm-hmm. which one am I getting, you know? Yeah. And so finding someone who's credentialed who also is a human being is really great. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I was also, this is kind of an aside, but I was also really surprised. I didn't realize how much social media played a, like such a big part. I didn't, I've always kind of pictured MLMs as it's your friend, right? It's your neighbor down the street. And I guess this has just been the change with technology, but it was so interesting to read about how now you all literally, like they, were, they try to make you be influencers mm-hmm. and they think you are going to recruit people from having a, yeah. an online – I mean, I guess I've seen it a little with oils where people are like, I'm the oil educator, right? Yeah. And I'm going to teach you. But um, I thought that was so, so interesting. Yeah. Well, and that's why a lot of the posts are very vague. Mm. You know, it's like, are you selling something? Are you involved? Like, what do you right. actually do? Are you why? educating yes, about their, their the Instagram product? bio is always like um, – mentoring other badass babes to mm. live their best lives. And it's like these very vague and, you know, love Jesus, all these very vague <laughs> statements about, you know, what actually are you doing here? Cause you know, yeah. there's rules around it and you want to attract people. It's like, Ooh, these are pretty pictures. What do you do? Can I do that yeah. too? And then you find out they're in an MLM, you know, or they'll have yeah. a link to like fill out my influencer application or something. Mm. And I only have five spots. You know, all of these buzzwords right. and this loaded language um, is just to mask what it really is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so interesting. Are they not allowed to put the name of the MLM that they work for? Some companies have rules okay. about it. Some don't, but it's more just a marketing tactic. Yeah. If you don't show it, because say you show the name of your product, one of the, like Modere is a company that does this constantly. They'll have their thumb over the like bottle or whatever. So, because if it, you see the name, you'll Google it and you'll know it's an MLM or you'll be able to find someone else to buy it from. So they, what it's attraction marketing. It's like, you want to sell yourself. So people join you no matter what you're selling. That's really the draw. 
But it's so funny, right? Because their whole thing is it's because of the products. It's because of the products. But then they're teaching you to sell as though you are the most important thing. So it's very clear that it's not about the it's products. It's definitely not about the products. No. And I think, and as a consultant, you know that. You know that. And you're, you know, even if you believe these products are the best, you know that people need to join the company. They need to join the mission. They need to be in on this thing. That's And that's where you benefit. And that's where you supposedly believe they benefit. So with, like, I can get kind of the health products and maybe this does apply to your company. I know that you don't talk about the name of your company and stuff or the MLM that you worked for, but like, I, I can see how uh, an MLM would be like, I'm helping the world because, right, like oils are going to save the world. How do like makeup MLMs tell people that they are going to save the world? What is right. What are they enrolled well, in? Well, yeah, because it's all about like, this is just the vehicle for whatever you want. It's like, it's not about makeup. It's not about supplements. It's not about whatever. I've used this as a vehicle to what fill in the blank, you know, fund orphanages or, or whatever. It's again, it isn't about the products and it's like what, how you sell this is like, well, this is stuff you're buying anyway. So you might as well sell blush and, you know, have a mission in your life and have a purpose. So it's not about the products at all. And all of these things, again, it then, it just brings in other little culty things like ageism, you know, like don't get older, don't get wrinkles. You need all these serums and creams and collagen and all this crap that you really don't need. Um, you know, don't be fat. Here's supplements and here's a diet plan. And I'm a coach and I'm going to, you know, intermittent fasting, blah, blah, blah. It, it also, it involves all these other little culty things. So it's things that we're already very aware of and involved in probably. And then it's like, oh, and you're my friend. So, you know, it just, it's very, that's why it's so predatory because it's things we're targeted by anyway, which is just general marketing. And it's our friend telling us that it's just our vehicle to do whatever we want to do. And we'll, you know, change, changing skin and changing lives or whatever. That's why the taglines <laughs> are so cheesy because it yeah. isn't about the products. It's about the company. Yeah. It's about joining this pyramid. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you look back, Emily, what do you think was like the hardest part about leaving? Like where did you struggle most with that? I mean, I think there's always the golden handcuffs. There's always the like, you know, when you have kids and you are paying for things and you've got, you know, I've got a son going to college this year. Like there's always that, oh gosh, you know, how do I just walk away from $10,000 going in my bank account every month? You know, I'm not going to lie. Like that is a big deal. I think though that I always say it's a privilege that I was able to walk away from that because again, we reduced our expenses enough. We, you know, changed things around enough in our, our family financially so that I could walk away so that my, you know, my husband, you know, got a promotion, whatever. Like it was, we were able to do that. And a lot of people are not like, so I always say it's not that easy to just walk away. And I understand why people don't leave. Um, I would say though, like the, probably the internal struggle that was the hardest was that I had brought so many people in. And again, I really believed like the sky is blue, that this was a gift I was offering people. And I believed because I had done the things and it worked for me, that if they did the things, it would work for them. So once I realized that, and it took a really long time to realize, 
wow, these people really are working. They really are doing what I'm telling them to do. And it really isn't working. And when I saw how saturated the marketplace was and that I'd already targeted everybody and it wasn't possible for them to succeed. And then I was like, I can't keep promoting this, but I also can't stop because I still do want them to succeed and I can't leave because I want to stay and stick it out with them. And so essentially, you know, it was me just bribing them, bribing them even more. Like, well, I'll go, you know, we'll go on this fun thing together. You know, when we're at convention, we'll go out tonight and I'll pay for it and I'll give you guys these gifts. And I, that was, I think the hardest part where I had the most cognitive dissonance is that was just keeping them more stuck. And I thought I was like giving them a leg up to succeed. And it wasn't, it was just keeping them more stuck. And I I think just being honest about it and being like, Hey, I believed this and now I see this and I'm no longer wanting to be involved. And again, it's those, that circle of like ownership of what can I control? What can't I control? And, you know, maybe these friends came in under false pretenses, but also they're adults who make their own choices and having to you know, leave and let them make their own decisions at that point. That was, that was really the hardest thing that took the longest time. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking a lot just about boundaries and how it must have really messed with your sense of, I mean, you've already talked about this, but how it's really impacts your sense of what a friend is, what, what are our expectations for friendships? Um, but it also, yeah, sounds like just in terms of boundaries were so blurred with these people are your friends, but they work from you and you're making money off of them. But then you're also like treating, you know, you're trying to spoil them. It's, it's, it just sounds, yeah, like for lack of a better word, it just sounds like a mindfuck. Oh, it is. And, and I think the boundaries are the, um, yeah, the boundaries do get very blurred and that you have this false sense of belief that you can dictate what other people do with their time. And this is just with the general like population too. Like you'll see, and you'll see memes like this, like, oh, I can't believe you're scrolling social media and not making money off of it. As if you you don't make money off posting on social media when you're a boss babe either, but just, you know, oh, if you spent $4 on eye cream instead of a Starbucks latte, you know, shaming what people do with their money, their time, you really get this false sense of like ownership over people. And then, so when they join you, you know, they join your team, they're on your team, you're their leader. You know, this is real language that's used. You do feel like you can dictate what people do. Like, oh, why weren't you at that Zoom call yesterday? Why weren't you here? Don't you really want to level up? And then these are your friends. So it's it's this weird, weird boundary thing that's that's not fun. And I will say that once you get out of that, you know, once, like once I was out of the MLM and like we moved to a new town and like it was a this waking up process of people weren't dollar signs anymore. Like I hadn't realized how far I'd veered away from that. And it's like, oh, I could just meet someone. And I didn't have in the back of my mind, like, ooh, she'd be great on my team. And, and also then people didn't think there was some ulterior motive there. Did you ever have any friends or people leave that were on your team because they got like fed up or it wasn't working for them? And how did that impact your friendship? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, I would say it got it got easier over time because again, you are really, it's like you develop this like callus on your soul of, uh, because cause otherwise it would be hurtful. It would, it would hurt. You know, I remember like the first couple of people who like, stopped buying the products. Like they used them, didn't like them and stopped buying them. Like that's a very valid, but I took it so personally. Cause I'm like, 
you must be using it wrong. You know, you're given all the language of like, it's not the products. The products are amazing. It must be something you're doing, right? I remember being very hurt by it. And then eventually you're just taught like, hey, it's just numbers. Like just keep reaching out to new people, replace, recruit and replace, recruit and replace. Um, so eventually it was like, if someone came in and they weren't willing to do what it took and quit, well, they just weren't like boss enough, you know? And, and I was, instead of thinking, oh, maybe I sold them something that didn't exist, um, it was on them, you know? So that happened. And again, that's in looking back and realizing, oh, gosh, you know, I, it really wasn't her fault or, you know, she really did have this unique set of circumstances that I, uh, you know, preyed upon or whatever. Again, that's all in looking back. And it's so interesting, I think, thinking of it as someone, and I'm sure you experienced this, someone, this is what I think is such a mindfuck about all of this, is someone could use the same language and spin it back on you or, you know what I mean? Like, right, I'm sure now you, I, I've seen, you get lots of haters <laughs> for speaking out against MLMs, right? So I think it's like, it could be really hard for someone to be like, I wasn't paying attention to the haters and they were right, but now I need to not but how do you, with that experience of, I don't know if I'm saying this No, correctly. I know what you're saying. Like, how do you not just <laughs> block people like they're haters when you're trying to get critical information, right? Yes. yes. So yes. I think the difference is, is looking where the information is coming from. Like, this, this is how it works for me anyway. So like, if someone comes to me and says like, hey, I read your book. I didn't agree with this, this, and this. Happy to have a conversation with you. Love to talk to you. When someone has not read it and is not willing to look at any source of information outside of their commercial cult, I will not debate with you. I will not fight with you. I will not listen to you because I'm giving you all of my information here. I'm giving you everything I would debate you with. So read it. And if you still don't agree, if you still have something that, you know, doesn't feel right, happy to talk to you. But the reality is you're not willing to read it because it either confirms for you maybe something you already know, or you, it will make you then not able to be complicit in a system that hurts other people and you're benefiting from it. So I just don't. And, and I understand it because again, like I say in the book, like I would have thrown this book in a fire 10 years ago because it is, it's in, and companies, you know, I know my former company cause I still have friends in it you know, said immediately like, Hey, we know former consultants written a book. Please don't read it. Please don't engage. Please don't. It's very on point. And so I would have done the same thing. I wouldn't have read it and just assumed it was just a hate, hate parade. Um, yeah. So that's, that's how I differentiate it, you know, and the same thing with alcohol. It's like, you know, we've been there, like you've been there. I've been there, you know, people saying, Oh, you're, you're hating on women who drink or whatever. It's like, I have millions. I have tons of friends who drink. Like most of my friends drink. I don't hate women who drink. I hate the messaging that the world gives women about drinking. So if you like that, I'm probably not the person you should follow. And who are you defending here? Like I just won't debate people who aren't willing to look at critical, use critical thinking and look at sources of information outside of their own belief. Because I've done both. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saying this as a person who has been in it and believed all the things you're saying and believed, and who's done research and now believes this. I've been on both sides. So there's like nothing you can say to me that I'm not going to have heard or said or already debated. Like it's just not going to go anywhere. That is really powerful, Emily. I mean, I just think 
regardless of where anyone is listening to this conversation, I think we really, and it's part of why I started this podcast, I really think we need more conversations about the nuance, about, right, like not everything is so black and white. Not everything is just like you're good or you're bad, but we all kind of have the capacity to, right? I think a lot of us have the capacity to abuse alcohol, right? I think we have the capacity to end up in an MLM. I think we have the capacity to like do things that we regret. And, um, you know, I, I kind of started this podcast and I was like, what happens after you stop drinking? It's not just done. That's really when the work starts. And I think that's what you just said is such a powerful way for people who I think have had shame to start, right? Like walking forward is to get really clear. Like what I'm hearing too is getting really clear on your values because then you're a lot more unshakable when you're making choices from what you value and what you believe in versus what someone has just told you. Right. And that's why I wrote the book from a very, not from a place of like, this is what I do and this is what I'm doing. This is what I have done and this is what I have learned. And this is the information that's publicly available out there that anyone could read, right? Because I'm not judging what anyone else does. And the, honestly, the greatest conversations I've had, like my book events have been awesome because people have such, everyone's been touched by this, right? And people who are in MLMs, those are the best conversations I've had because they're like, hey, gosh, you know, this really made me realize something and made me like understand that this isn't my fault, that I'm not succeeding. I mean, you know what? I'm going to talk to people differently and I'm going to take the pressure off myself or whatever. I mean, if if you read this book and you are personally offended, I think that is when you, that's where you realize you need to lean in. Why does this hurt? Why, where does this feel bad? Um, and, and really like lean into that because it, it can apply to so many things. Again, if you're offended by a meme or offended by a comment, like, Ooh, like what, you know, there's a difference between shaming and feeling shame. Yes. Right? Oh my gosh. So absolutely. If you say something and I feel personally shamed by it, that's where I need to look. What hurt me about that statement? Because you weren't shaming me. You weren't insulting right. me. Where, and that's where the really, the inner work is. Yeah. And I think there has been something lost in that people don't understand Mm -hmm. the difference. And sometimes I try to literally be like, this is what shaming is, right? Shaming is like belittling, degrading, like using names, like coming at someone versus if someone's sharing a fact, a piece of information, a study, something based on themselves, and you feel shame as a result of it, that that is something that's happening for you, right? You we can feel shame for all sorts of reasons, but that doesn't mean that we are being shamed. Yes. Like having some personal agency and not and knowing that not everything is for you and not everything is about mm-hmm. you. Um, yes. I think we've kind of done a disservice in the Insta therapy world, right? That mm-hmm. again, this idea that it's all up to you and you can make it however you want. And also it's all about you. And that's just right. not true. Like it's not all about you and you can't do everything. And yeah, it's also not your fault in if you fail or if you don't meet that goal because it's impossible to do yourself, right? It It isn't all about you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a good point. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to share with people just about how you've worked through shame, how you continue to work through shame? Because I could see someone else going through this and being so paralyzed, like when they see what they've done, being so paralyzed by shame that they just shut down and and do nothing. Yeah. I mean, I live by the mantra of the best apology is changed behavior. 
Yeah. Um, because especially at first, you know, whether in recovery or leaving the MLM, it's like, there's a lot you got to contend with and yeah, n- like no one's going to like believe you at first. <laughs> like no one's going to think you're this changed person at first. Like it's, it's time. And yeah, that, that has been where I have just always, that's always what I say. If I feel bad about something mm-hmm. or I'm trying to find my place in something, it's like the best apologies change behavior. And there's no, yeah. It's, there's no point in like looking back and, you know, like slapping yourself over something that you did years ago under different pretenses, or, you know, I wouldn't have done that when I, if I wasn't drinking, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't indoctrinated, whatever, you can't change the past. And so yeah. really looking forward and just saying like, what, how can I do things differently going forward now that I know better that has helped me. And I think also just from a standpoint of like being an author and being a public figure or whatever, and talking about this publicly is I don't read reviews. I don't Mm. read comments on, you know, I have my, my personal comments very locked down with who can comment on my stuff. Um, that's a personal boundary for me. Um, You know, I don't look at Goodreads. Like once in a while, someone will send me like a funny one-star review that that I can laugh at, right? Right, Um, right. But because I know that that's not about me. And someone very early when I was writing my first book in the process, you know, asked me because I, you know, got some negative feedback or something. And um, she's like, would you change the book you've written Mm. based on this feedback? I'm like, well, no. She's like, well, then don't listen to it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna make people feel some sort of way. They they're gonna, you know, some people see me as a villain no matter what. That doesn't right. change the book I I would have written. So, I think that that has helped me like any of that curiosity, like I don't need to see it. Like I don't I yeah. don't need to see it. I don't I'm not going to argue with people. I'm going to people are going to have their own feelings and mm-hmm. that's really helpful. So, I would say if you're anybody who has a platform, if you, even your own personal social media, like you shouldn't allow everybody to come into your space. So I think that's really important. Boundaries are huge. I think having a lack of boundaries for so long, you know, alcohol and in the MLM and all these ways Mm -hmm. has really made me realize like who my people are and what is available, how I make myself available for people and in what capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you just said really is a really good thing that can apply to everyone of right? I think about it even in relationships, in your current job, in whatever, right? Like if based on, right? Like I can think about the example that popped up in my head is if my husband gives me some feedback about, right? Like how I talked to him or how I interacted with him, right? Like if that feedback changes how you would have done it, then like, that's great. That's helpful feedback. You all can move forward, but sometimes things need to be said, right? In a relationship where things need to be done. And um, even if someone gives you feedback that that was painful, if you wouldn't change, right, like your message, maybe you could change how you delivered it. Yeah. But if you wouldn't change your message, I think that's a really good place for someone to stand of, I, you know, I don't have, I'm not going to change just based on someone saying this. I don't have regrets about it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for chatting with me. Um, your book, Hey Hun, Sales Sisterhood Supremacy. And the other lies behind multi-level marketing is out now. It was such a fun read. Is there anything, Emily, before we go that you wanted to like share about your book? I know we talked about it a lot, but is there anything you wanted to touch on that you feel like is important that readers should know? Um, I would say if you're listening to this and you know you're like 
feeling some sort of way, like, obviously I want you to read the book. I want everybody to read the book. Yeah. <laughs> but like have an open mind and know that mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it's not, again, it's not about you. It's about me and my experience. Yeah. You might learn something. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, and it's available anywhere books are sold. Always support your local bookstore. So yeah, where can we reach you? Where can we follow you? Drop all of those details. Yeah, so I'm Emily Lynn Paulson, basically on all platforms. And I am still on a book tour. I'll be in Denver, gosh, a week from today, I guess. And then Seattle, I think another week after that. So if you're in the area, I'd love to see you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Emily. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy from my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country. 